I'm just going to open up and uh, pray before we get into the message for this evening. And so, Father, we just want to invite your presence to come and be with us. Come and uh, draw close, draw close in power and in peace, draw close in love and grace, um, draw close in joy, and um, just surround us with a sense of your nearness this evening. Lord, we want to be a community of people who is open uh, to your spirit. We want to be open to the things that you're doing. And so, Lord, would you, would you come and would you be in this place? Would we, be, uh, would we ourselves incline our hearts towards you and would we lean into your presence and would we know uh, something of, of your, your nearness here tonight? And would you call us and shape us uh, and invite us towards... Um, a more profound, more meaningful way of doing this thing called faith. Amen. Revelation 2, 2 to 5. That sounds like a scary way to start, eh? Just off the bat, Revelation. It's not that scary. uh, Revelation 2, 2 to 5. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, Turn and do the works that you did at first. Um, I am acutely aware of uh, how the seasons of our our Christian life go uh, and how the seasons of of church life go. Um, I became a Christian when I was 17 years old. I was totally captivated by everything that was going on. I was captivated by this little church that was um, setting up chairs in in, uh, Northcote College and in Birkdale Primary School. I was so taken by it. I I loved setting up chairs, like getting amongst it. Um, I was totally captivated with this whole thing of God. I had this fresh sense of, of God's love for me in my life. It was this thing I'd never experienced. I was surrounded by people who spoke to me differently and engaged with me differently than anything else I'd ever experienced before. And I was totally for this thing, you know, totally for this church thing. And then I've had these other moments where it just feels like it's just this like routine, mundane thing that I just get sucked into. And it's like, how have I given like 10 plus years of my life to it? Like, I don't know, does anyone else get like a little bit low sometimes? Because I definitely do. It's definitely something that I I feel. And so it's like sometimes it's like God's the most incredible thing. And other times it's like I'm not even sure God's real. And yet somehow it's this thing that I've just been totally, um, totally soaked in for the last 10, 12, 13 years, whatever it is. And um, I've always been just drawn back. I've had these these moments of of coming back to my first love. And and for me, you know, as as some as someone who's a leader in this church, um, it's important every year. Every year almost seems like it presents a season. And often in January and February, you're sort of talking about you know vision and things that we want to do and what we believe God's going to be doing and stirring in our lives. Um, and then often what happens is we get to March and then things we just kind of we hit that grind of the year. Does anyone know about that sort of grind where you start to feel it's like oh man. All the energy, every bit of rest that kind of worked for us over the summer seems to kind of dissipate and we just get stuck into everything again. And I think it's important then for us to talk about, you know, what are some of the things that we want to hold to as a community and what are some of the things that God is inviting us to do so that we can sort of sustain ourselves through that. And as I was um, sort of a, a part of these conversations with our leaders and, and with the pastors in the church and everything, there were some, there were some things that came to the forefront for me. And, um, and these words, um, expectancy, engagement, and, and 
earnest, you know, this idea of being earnest. It was something that kind of resonated with me and it felt like it was pertinent. Man, there's a lot of uh, young adults who I've known for a long time in this church who were at some point perhaps a part of the youth group that I ran way back in the day. Um, yeah, long time ago, right? But um, uh, it seems like there was this invitation for us to, to grow in these areas somewhat. And, and there was this recurring thought that we needed to, to come back to our first love. And, and so to explore this a little bit, I felt incredibly drawn to the Ephesian church. And so that scripture that I started with, Revelation 2, 2 to 5, if you don't know much about Revelation, John, uh, the Apostle John is, is exiled um, somewhere towards the end of the first century. Um, he's exiled to the island of Patmos and he has this vision. And, and really early on in his letters, he sees he basically sees Jesus saying these things about seven different churches. And, and this particular one is about Ephesus, the church of Ephesus. Um, I actually went to Ephesus. This is what Ephesus looks like. This is an, I took this photo in 2014 when I went as part of my master's study. Um, this is looking down. You can sort of see um, right down towards the very end there, quite a big structure. That was, the, that was the public library, second only in the world at that time to the Library of Alexandria. Right, so this was it was an incredible place. All down this street, there were um, we're actually pretty close to the public toilets, right where this photo was taken. Public toilets two thousand years ago, not public toilets today. Um, but uh, but there were also these little areas where there were different teachings. So there were all kinds of scholars and stuff that used to gather just off the side of this street here. Um, and so yeah, pretty fascinating thing. Ephesus is one of the most excavated ancient cities in the world, and yet they've only uncovered thirteen percent of it. Isn't that interesting? I find that interesting because I'm a real nerd about that stuff. But anyway, so Ephesus, if you don't know, there's a couple of things that are really interesting about the ancient city of Ephesus. Um, It was a population of about 300,000, so not that dissimilar to the North Shore. 300,000 people lived uh, in Ephesus. Um, It was actually a port city. So this, uh, this is actually sort of down around the corner from where the library is. But at the end of this road... Uh, there was actually a port. Um, the harbor now is six kilometers away. Isn't it amazing how much land changes, right, in 2,000 years? But, but there used to be at the very end of this road, the water, the harbor, and uh, ships would come in and they would do trading. Um, so uh, Ephesus was a place of, of economy. Um, it was a place of culture. That is a 25,000-seat uh, theater, so there were always uh, shows, uh, public executions, trials and stuff that happened um, in that theater. So at the time, it was like the biggest theater uh, in the known world. Pretty incredible, right? Um, and this is when you hear about Paul being trialed. That was the space where he was, where he was on trial. Interesting, eh? Um, and that's just another, another little take of it there. So, um, so Ephesus was a place of uh, incredible economy, incredible culture and entertainment. Um, and uh, incredible, like I said, with that, that library, it was a place of intellect. Like this is where people went to learn, to grow. It was sort of like it was the, the city that people went to when they wanted to move out of, the, out of the country and move away from their family and move towards, you know, the big city lights. You know, what's fascinating is, is when you look at so many of those things, um, there's actually a lot of parallels between Ephesus and Auckland, you know, and I'm sure you could say that about lots of cities in the world, but it's like, man, Auckland is a port city. Auckland is a place, it's a, it's a hub of economy, like that's, this is where people in New Zealand, like if you want opportunity, like typically people tend to move to either Auckland or Wellington, that they sort of seem to be like the big places, um, hence the reason why we have such awful traffic. Um, <clears throat> 
uh, it's, uh, Auckland is the place of, uh, you know, it's pretty well known around the world for being a place of, of intelligence. You know, when I was uh, at University of Auckland, they always trumpeted, like, how well the University of Auckland stacked up against international schools. Um, Massey's won a bunch of awards. You know, like, there are all these sorts of similarities that we're able to draw out between uh, here and there. Um, but what's re- another really interesting thing about Ephesus is that it was a, it was a very religious city. And it had this, um, uh, you can't really get a picture of it anymore, but it had a temple there, the temple of Artemis or, or Diana, and it was, a, it was an incredible temple. It was basically considered one of the, the seven ancient wonders of the world, and people would, people would travel to see this thing, and it, was, it had like 157 columns. It was an incredible piece of architecture, and that was where uh, Diana was worshipped. And so there were a lot of like interesting, not just uh, sort of scholarly teachings going on, but a ton of religious teaching uh, happening uh, throughout, throughout the city of Ephesus. And, um, and the church that Paul planted there became incredibly well known in the city for the way that they treated the poor and the way that they loved neighbors. And people were drawn to the things that the church was doing. And so Paul planted this church and he left it uh, in the care of Timothy. And so Timothy had this growing congregation in Ephesus that was known for genuinely loving and, uh, and passionately engaging with the city around it. Um, and probably at some point, the Apostle John, we know that he lived in Ephesus for a while, so he was probably a part of that church. And so here when he has this revelation, he's almost, uh, I wonder if, if the Apostle John would have been like a little bit shocked or something to say, hey, it's almost like this revelation that I'm having, like Jesus is nailing like the exact thing on the head. Because here's this church who's been known for doing these incredible things. And really what, what we see from this, this, this little bit of Scripture is that they've, they've entered a season of... Um, I don't know, discouragement or apathy, um, or they're just getting sucked into the grind of life. And so there is this invitation from Christ to come back to our first love. So why am I talking about the church of Ephesus? Because the Ephesian church story is so important because it is our story. And it's not just our story because it's like, man, we on the North Shore are just exactly like Ephesus, whatever. Like, I, I think this, this rings true for churches all around the world and for faith communities all around the world. We experience these moments where we, where we get to, to passionately engage with the world around us, where we get to, to do things that matter, where we long for the things of God and for the things of His kingdom, and we begin to see kingdom breakthrough. And then we, we hit some kind of wall, and, and things begin to slow down, and there's a, it feels like a grind begins to set in. And there's this invitation that sort of comes. Would you, would you come back to your first love? You, you've, you've forgotten this thing. You've, somewhere along the way, you've, you've missed it, and I, I want you to discover it again. And so I think we have an opportunity, this, this, not just tonight, but this year, to consider this thing, to talk about it. That's why I want to talk about expectation and engagement and being earnest, because these are things that tie into this whole idea of coming back to our first love. Um, so I want to ask this, do you remember, do you remember what it was like when you had your first encounter with God? Because I'm conscious that in this room, there's probably some people who, um, grew up in the church and there's probably some people in this room who at some point when they were a teenager or like in the middle of their life or something, they, they were invited to a church service and they, they had this experience. I mean, do you, do you remember what it was like? And I remember like my first real exposure was like, I think I've spoken about it before, but just like standing in a room of people worshiping. And my the very first thought was like, these people are weird. 
But the second thought was like, but I want what they have. You know, and I remember, I remember being prayed for and thinking, well, this is really strange, but oh my goodness, I feel so, so incredibly loved. And I remember uh, at that time, our uh, Chauvignon Church did like this 24-7 prayer room in like a little, I guess it used to be like a dairy or something. It was like there was a space that we hired out and I remember being prayed for and, and I don't know, feeling, feeling like the warmth of the Holy Spirit or, you know, I had this, these moments where, where like I was just in a, in a school hall and I felt compelled to like worship on my knees and I had these like intense close moments. Like what? Like, what do you remember? Like, let's just throw that out as a question. Like, if you can speak up, like, what do you remember, like, from some of your first encounters of God? Like, what, what stands out? Doing a lot of crying. Oh, you always strike me as such a tough macho man, though, Sandy. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of crying. Yeah, right, it's... it's Invokes a lot of emotion, right? What else? What else do you remember? You had second Sandy? You're a crier as well? That's awesome. <laughs> right. Yeah, wow. So that's like an impacted worldview. Yeah, wow. Cool. What else? Yeah. 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 Any other anything else? Encounters that shaped you, things that were meaningful, things that stood out to you. I think it's important to kind of talk about these things. Cuz I think they kind of drift back. Man, I remember like one time, like one time in worship experiencing like I was I felt like someone hugged me and it was like I could I could feel every bit of fabric and I could feel this like incredible hug and uh and I opened my eyes and there was no one there. And it was like, it was like this hug from God or this hug from Jesus or something. It was so real and so bizarre and so out of the ordinary. But it was, it's, when I think about it, it like, it stirs something. I mean, like, are there any, anything, anything else, any other sort of strange things that are worth sharing? Yeah? Yeah, right. Yeah. Peace. Man, that peace is like a powerful thing. Peace is like an anchor for the soul. So being able to um, experience that, be drawn back into that is really significant. The reason why I ask this question is because I think, I think it's really significant for us to consider consider our, our previous memories of God, to think about those, those moments in our own history where, where the kingdom of God is broken through in a moment of vulnerability or in a moment of need or in a moment of desire or in a moment of longing or whatever. 
It's important to remember those because our memories anchor us. They, they, keep us, they keep us centered and they keep us on the path that we're supposed to go on. And so for me, when I consider, when I consider some of my memories, I think it's, I think it's out of that, that sense of first encounter that these three words have come. That sense of our expectancy, engagement, and, uh, and, and being earnest. Because I think, I think that's what, what is cultivated in your life when you have some of those encounters with God or, or when you think back on your first encounter because I, I know that like in just those few little things that I had in that very first year as a 17-year-old, it was like suddenly my concept of expectation, what I, what I expected of God or from God or what I expected to happen in church was blown wide open. Like I showed up every single week to church expecting to encounter God in worship. And I showed up every single week in church expecting that someone would, would interact with me or expecting that I would get to know someone or I looked for things to do. I just suddenly became that much more engaged and I began to long for the things of God. There was this earnest new pursuit. This is where these words come from. And this is why, this is why I believe these words are important for us is because I think we're being called um, to, to come back this year to our first love to come back this evening or, or this week, I think there is an invitation for each of us to come back to our first love. Um, when we foster expectation, engagement, and, and earnestness, is that a word? It'll do. Earnestness is a word. Clear it with the journalist. Um, <clears throat> uh, when we foster that in our lives, we cannot help but find ourselves, we can't help but find ourselves returning to our first love. We can't help but find ourselves connecting once again with God's story and our place in it and the things that we're called to do. We can't help that. And so quickly, I want to like explore a little bit because I don't want to take up so much time tonight, but I'd love us to have a bit of time um, ministering together. But, um, but I want to look a little bit at, at what each of these things could look like for us. Because I think, uh, I think that would be meaningful. So expectation. Um, expectation. Expectation is this posture that says, I am here. And I think often what happens is when we, when we stand in worship, like there's, uh, you know, the way we stand, I think, really matters. So if we're standing there with our hands open or something, really what we're saying is we're saying, God, I'm here. I'm, I'm here for you. You know, sometimes we sing that song, you know, we are here for you. This whole thing of expectation is like, like I'm here, I'm ready, and I'm willing for you to show up. I love um, how, how Jesus in the Scriptures invites us to approach Him. Um, in Matthew 18, 3-4, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Like a child, we are invited to come and simply be with God. We are invited to trust, to ask, to learn, to rest, to be encouraged. If we can expect those things to happen, they will happen, but they must come from a center of childlikeness. And so what I mean by that is not that, not that you, you've been supposed to be stupid and you're not supposed to ask questions, because I mean, I don't know if you guys know any kids, but like kids are always like, why does this happen? Why is this? What's that? Why? You know, like that's what like kids ask questions. So it's not about just blindly accepting God and just doing that, but it's but it's about relinquishing our sense of control and relinquishing the things that are kind of going on and actually saying, actually, I'm just I'm just willing to lay that stuff down. To just be. There's that story of like of of um, uh, Mary choosing the good portion, right? And just sitting at the feet of Jesus. 
She's chosen the good portion, this whole thing of like just being. So there's this sense of expectation. It's like when we, when we, when we come and we enter into that posture, there is a, a, an expectation that God would come and meet with us, that we would encounter God in some meaningful manner, that we would receive love or experience grace or, or, or connect with that peace. So that whole posture is incredibly important. Man, I, I want to invite you to think about what, what does your posture look like when you arrive in a place of worship? What does your posture look like when you have people in your home or when you go to your job? What does your posture look like? Is it a prayerful posture in some way that says, I am here and God, I want to invite you to move and I want to encounter you in the midst of that. Like, I wonder what that could foster in our lives if that, if that whole thing of like, I am here. What would expectation begin to look like if we, if we were willing to say that again? I reckon it's been like a really long time since I was like, since I was really like, I'm here. You know? Maybe it's been like a couple days for you or a couple months or maybe it's been a couple years, but, but what would it look like if you were willing to say, God, I am here. The next thing is this idea of engagement, which really is a posture of I am willing. Um, Galatians uh, 5 verse 13 says this, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather to serve one another humbly in love. It's, it's just such a common thread all through Scripture that we are invited to, to live and walk in rhythms of, of love and justice, to embody mercy, to, to look for ways we can, we can open our doors to others, to open our hearts to others. Um, we're invited to be, to be generous, to find ways um, to be generous quickly, to, to give off ourselves, whether it's resources or our time, to do those sorts of things without thinking. Not because we, we could or we should, but because we actually long to. We find some sense of fulfillment. We, we, we suddenly uh, encounter the other, the other person, the brokenness, as something human and familiar, and we, and we enter into something beautiful when we choose to be generous, when we make ourselves willing and available. Um, there's a sense of, of, of being uh, engaged with one another. Like, even in our own community, it's like, it's like, man, we're definitely not, we're not a megachurch here, but it's like, man, there's probably people in this room who haven't spoken to each other. And so there's an opportunity to be engaged with one another, you know, so that when Paul invites the Galatian church, he's not just saying serve the people outside the community, but faithfully serve one another, you know. I think vulnerability is like an important thing. I think it not, it's not just about serving as well, but it's also about being willing to ask. Yeah, we'll say, hey, I'm, I'm moving house this weekend. I, w- I would love a hand or... Oh, I've got something going on. Would you, would, you grab, would you grab coffee with me? I'd love to chat. You know, like that's what an engaged community looks like. An engaged faith community looks like inviting each other into their homes and having dinners together. Man, it's, it's like, like we just went and had uh, a dinner last night with some, some other people in our church. And it's like, man, there's like a friendship growing there of these people that probably two years ago we might, we might not have hung out with. But it's a, it's a beautiful thing. When we choose to show up and say, man, I'm, I'm willing to be available and I'm willing to be used and I'm willing to love and I'm willing to give when you call me towards those things. And it's this real, it's this real gentle, wonderful thing that we're invited to do. And so I feel like there's a sense of being called by God to, to engage, find new ways of engaging 
um, and, to, and to discover something meaningful in that. And so I think it comes from a posture of I am willing. What would it look like in your life? What would it look like in our lives if we we're willing to show up and say, God, I am willing? What would that look like? What would, what would be cultivated in our hearts in that moment? And then there's this whole thing of earnest. And I, I, I don't really know, like, I don't really know if this word just sort of sprung out of my desperate need for alliteration. Um, but because that's just what happens when you've been pastoring for like nearly 10 years, is that you just, you love a good little a bit of alliteration. But I've, I've always been really captivated in 1 Corinthians 12 when it talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And it says, you know, not everyone has all these gifts, but earnestly desire all the, all the gifts. And I've always loved that line. It's like, well, yeah, we definitely don't all have the gifts. Like, there's not the same. But that whole thing of like, we should earnestly desire. There should be like a longing in our heart for, for more of that. It's like, you know, and I know that this is a bit of an extreme example. But it's like, man, I'm really good at healing people, but I'm not really good at being like empathetic, which is like, this is a hypothetical example because I don't think I am really good at healing people. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, like there's this sense of like, it's not just about the thing that you can do, but it's also about like loving all of these other elements of what the Holy Spirit is up to and what the Holy Spirit is doing in the lives of people around us and being able to see and recognize, you know, because I think the earnest desire is also about recognizing the giftedness in the other. And so seeing someone who's able to like to sit with someone and, and, to, and to empathize with them or to see someone who, who cares about healing or cares about praying on the behalf of or, or the sort of social justice oriented person, it's like, oh man, like you inspire me. And I desire to live in, in the way that you, you know, it's like we recognize in our, in our sort of earnest desire for those things, we're actually recognizing what God is doing in the life of someone else. And so I've always loved this thing of earnestly desiring um, the other gifts. Um, a couple of Psalms, which I think are really important. Um, Psalm 27, 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. This is what being earnest is about. It's to, it's to long for the things of God. It's to long for intimacy with God. It's to long for relationship with God, to know God and be close to God, to long for the things of his kingdom, to long to see justice break through into the world around us. You know, like it's, it's something deep that happens within our hearts. Um, <clears throat> Uh, Psalm 42, 1 to 2, As the deer longs for streams of water, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? Someone said to me the other day, they were like, oh, at what point did you like stop caring about tattoos and you just started getting like extra ones? You know, because <laughs> I always had this thing. I was like, well, I've got this like, you know, gospel story tattooed on my leg and whatever. And someone was like, well, at what point did you like, did you like just stop caring and just start getting cool tattoos? And I was like, which one are you talking about? And they were like, oh, well, the stag on your arm. And I was like, well, here's the cool thing about that stag, right? is that that comes from Psalm 42.1. It's, it's this story. And, and in the original Aramaic, it's, it's as the stag calls across the water for his family, so my soul calls out for you, you know? And so, you know, like, I, I don't know if you know much about deer if you've watched any documentaries, but, you know, there's this real togetherness in these families of, of deer, and the stag would, would literally, if they were separated by a river, there would be like this loud bellow, like this incredible. And so it's calling out for this thing that's missing. Like there's a togetherness in the, in the, in the family of deer. And so there's this, in the psalm, what it's referring to is the sense of like missing a piece of yourself. 
right? It's like, God, I need you because without you, there's a, there's a, there's a divide and there's a chasm and there's some sort of lack in my life. So I long for you. And I call out for you. My, I bellow across the water for you because I, I need you to be a part of my life. And like, man, you read the Psalms like, and you read the words of King David and like, that's the heart that comes through time and time again. And David's a guy who like stuffs up heaps, right? He has those kind of really up moments and he has these really down moments as well. But there's this earnest desire in him to know God and be loved by God and to find his identity in God. And I think it's so easy when we hit the grind of life to just forget that and lose that. And when you've been in church a long time, and man, I've been in, uh, maybe 13 years doesn't seem that long, but for me, it feels like a long time. It's so easy to forget that. And that, and so for me, like, it wasn't just like a dumb idea to get like a stag toted on my arm, but it was, it was a, a way of like carrying something of the story. It was a way of carrying something meaningful to me, some kind of meaningful reminder that, man, I, like I long for God and that when I'm, when I'm separated from Him in some way, when I've, when I've moved away, it's like, it's like there's a piece in me that's missing. So we are called to earnestly long for God. So this prayer, this posture that says, God, I am longing for you. Man, I think that that's really beautiful. I think it stirs something in us. It's this, it's this serves as a powerful reminder to us that like, I actually like, I've just, I've just missed a step somewhere along the way. And now I just want to look for you again. And it's like, man, when we, when we discover, like, when we discover uh, something of our relationship again, a, a more meaningful one, a closer one, a more intimate one with God, it's like something is stirred in us again. And so that's what we're talking about when I talk about being earnest, this intentional longing. And so I wonder if there's something here for us tonight, if these are prayers for us. I wonder if there is something that God would want to stir in your, in your heart this evening, if He would want to prompt something in you. Is there, is there a sense of, of, of wanting to adopt a new posture? Right, like that's kind of the sense I get. Like, is, there a, is there a sense that you, that you know that you want to show up and say, God, I'm here. And you've kind of like been, you've, you've, you've been, maybe, maybe it's this space here physically, but maybe it's, maybe it's in relation to your faith or something, but you, but you just know that you've, you've shown up, but you haven't really like shown up. You know, you haven't, there's been a reluctance to step in or there's been a sense of being burned or something. There's just, there's just some sort of thing that's holding you back. Or is there a sense of being like, well, actually, I just know I haven't been a very willing person. I haven't been a very available person or a present person. You know, I haven't been a very engaged person. Is there a sense as God inviting you to adopt a posture that says, I am willing? Or is there just a real big disconnect in your, um, in your I don't know, your relationship with God? I want to say faith journey, but like, I don't know, that just it doesn't seem so impersonal. Like just your relationship with God. Like, you know, when was the last time you just went for a walk in the morning and it was like you just knew his delight and you knew something of his love and his presence? 
And it was the sense of like knowing that deep peace, returning to that sense of, of deep peace, or returning to that sense of awe and wonder as you contemplate creation, you know, or considering the work of his hands and every single person being a reflection of God. Like, what would it look like to return to that? And could that come from a place of longing? I think it could. And so I wonder if there's some kind of prayer for us, for each of us in that this evening. And so here's what I want to do. I want to invite you guys to stand. And um, so stand with me. And we are just going to, we're going to give some space and some time for God to move. And um, it made me just think if there was, if there was one of those postures that, that, stood out to you maybe just maybe just consider what that would look like and so I'll just I'll I'll just pray and and we'll and we'll just I don't know we'll just roll with it and we'll see we'll see what happens so heavenly father why don't you come and 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 power and peace holy spirit come surround us with a sense of, of of your love and your grace and your joy. Surround us with your goodness, Lord. A sense of your faithfulness. Would you just draw near to each one of us? Not in a, not in a kind of crazy way, but just this, this gentle, loving way. And Father, I pray that you would, you would stir something in us this moment. Maybe it's even a moment of challenge, but what kind of posture, Lord, are you inviting us to to adopt? Are you calling us, Lord, to to expectation, to discover something, that, that sense when we used to show up? We used to show up and we used to expect you to move, and like we've just kind of forgotten about that. So Lord, if, 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 if you want us to say, I am here, maybe invite us to adopt that posture, whatever it would look like. Or maybe the prayer is, I am willing. And you know God's been, been, been I don't know, stirring something, or you just know that, that you haven't really felt very engaged with the people around you, whether in church or whether in your workplace or whether in, you're, you're walking down the street or whatever, but it's like, man, actually, I, I am willing I want to be willing. So come, Holy Spirit, would you, would you challenge us in that area? Would you stir something in us in that area? And Lord, I pray you would stir longing in us, a deep desire, an earnest desire to know you and be loved by you and to know relationship with you and to know your closeness and your loveliness, Lord. So come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.